0: Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pleasure. Hello, everyone. I am beyond excited to have Morgan Chantel on the show today. She is an ex evangelical, a social activist, a mom, and also a trauma-informed life coach who helps religious trauma survivors who experience spiritual abuse. And she is also a purity culture survivor and is here to tell her story. How are you today, Morgan?
1: I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here.
0: awesome thank you so much for coming on the show yeah of course thank you so much for having me of course so as we get to the interview you know this podcast is all about personal stories and so the first question is what was your childhood like regarding religion and what impact did that have on you
1: yeah I think that My story is different than maybe some of your guests and listeners, in that I didn't grow up in a religious family. So my dad grew up in a religious family and kind of rebelled against it. Um, But I did have a trauma-filled childhood. So my dad was gone most of my childhood. My mom was an alcoholic. And my grandma, my dad's mom, went to church. So I like to kind of half jokingly say that I am the cliche and that church and religion became a crutch to me. So that was what felt like, quote unquote, a safe place. So I just like, yeah, probably starting at like 12, threw myself into youth group and church and religion and all that comes with that.
0: And so what kind of teachings did you hear in the church that affected you? And like, how I guess what how did you get involved with religion then what caused that
1: yeah I think that the chaos and trauma that I grew up with um there was a lot of like emotional neglect and abuse. I was left alone a lot. And so going to church with my grandma, I started going when I was like four years old here and there. And I started to notice the facade that there was, there was the families that I wanted, what looked like on the outside, a dad who worked a mom who stayed home, they were still married. So I think I was drawn into the presentation that people had for you know, a couple hours on a Sunday morning. So I, um, yeah, so I started to get really involved with youth group and for the beginning. And in part, it was what I thought I wanted because there was safety, there was acceptance, there was community. But of course, along with all that came guilt and fear and shame and condemnation. I think religion for me, confirmed my internal subconscious belief system so growing up with an alcoholic parent and in a trauma-filled um household the internal belief system that a child has is i'm bad something inherently is wrong with me Mm, if i'm going to experience this so church and religion just confirm that like yeah i'm messed up Uh, i'm a sinner i'm broken
0: (laughs) oh no and so i can i've definitely noticed and seen how these environments really prey on the vulnerable and when they're having hard times in their life and they're like oh you have this terrible problem all right well we have the answer for you you just do this this and this and your life will be so much better and so much happier and also if it isn't working for you it's your fault you're a sinner work harder be better and so what kind of denomination was it? Fundamentalist? Was it evangelical? Southern Baptist? What kind of church was this?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I absolutely agree. And that is totally my experience through mm-hmm. all throughout. So I'll just give you like an overview and I can go into more detail if you want. But I started out at a, it was pretty, it was a non-denominational, pretty evangelical church. So for a lot of it, on the surface, at least, there wasn't like this, deep spiritual abuse. But then as I got older, so in college, my now ex-husband and I both went away to YWAM, we both did discipleship training schools with youth of the mission. And then when we came back, we went to a non-denominational, like very charismatic church where we experienced a lot of looking back now it looks like spiritual abuse what we Mm. would have called it then is like it was intense and passionate and we were like the real Mm. christians and then after we left that church we went to a more um conservative fundamentalist where i like homeschooled the kids and we Mm. kind of like so i feel like i've experienced a lot of different aspects of religion
0: interesting yeah you try the different flavors of it yep yep
1: There was a part of me that thought, okay, this is the answer, kind of like what you were saying. Like, Um, I grew up in trauma. Religion is the answer. And if there is something that I'm experiencing wrong, maybe I'm just not finding the right church. So maybe I just need to find the right church. And then exactly like you were saying, all my prayers will be answered. This dream life that I want will come true because I thought, yeah, of course, like I'm just not doing it enough. I'm just not working hard enough. And that's why this perfect life, perfect family hasn't come into existence yet.
0: Mm, Yes, and like that's, I think, such an insidious thing about it because it makes their system, their beliefs and their approach untouchable completely. And I think it's so frustrating. I think it's interesting how you're saying back then, like you maybe didn't recognize it as spiritual abuse, but as it, you know, got more and more. And like, that's the interesting thing about religious trauma is that it's comparable to complex PTSD. And... The thing is, is that the hardest thing about like going to therapy and talking about religious trauma, you know, in my experience is that because it's so many incidences that just build up on top of each other. And this is what I try to explain to people. which of course you're, uh, you're informed on trauma, you're a life coach, so you know all about this, but for people out there and you know, right now I'm in my senior year of college and I've been writing about religious trauma and like. Um, I'm doing a presentation of like how do you present this to an audience who doesn't know anything about religious trauma like what analogies can you use and to me when I thought about it I'm like it's really like a snowball that is rolling down a hill like it starts really small or it seems to be small at first and then it rolls down the hill and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's just it's so insidious because it's just so many experiences toxic messages and beliefs over so like a long period of time and it's really hard to unpack for people and so what was the moment for you when you start to question the system and be like oh my gosh this is really toxic this is harming me as an individual
1: yeah that is so good and it's so so true and i think experiencing complex ptsd Mm. and experiencing religious trauma like obviously they come together and it is hard and that's like a um, coaching program that I have. It's called unravel because that's a word I Mm, like to use a lot. And I'm like, we're just kind of like pulling apart this like big knotted ball of yarn and it feels overwhelming and it feels so big. And where do you even begin? So I think the biggest turning point for me, and there was a lot of ones along the way. And I think that just this overall feeling of guilt and shame that I had my entire childhood, probably really starting Mm. when I started going to youth group and then going and doing this like mission school and then going to this, this, um, charismatic church, there was a lot of messages of like, of course, not said in this way, but like, you're bad. There was a lot of times when we were like, confronted, we had to talk to the pastor. But the the biggest turning point was when I got divorced. So my ex-husband, I mean, the short story was one day he just didn't come home and we had struggled in our marriage for a long time we got married really young we had lots of kids really young it was kind of a recipe for disaster but i always felt if i could like pray enough if i could fast enough if i could do enough if i could be enough then quote unquote god would heal my marriage and so when my marriage was over it was like oh this thing that i had put on a pedestal this like perfect family or at least good family i wouldn't have even called it a perfect family then but Oof, the, in an yeah. ideal situation Was no longer like I had done this thing. I had like done everything that I felt like God was asking me to do. And then I was what felt like at the time repeating this pattern for my children, the people that I love more than anything in the world. And that caused me to question, like, oh, God, like at the time I was asking, like, God, I did all these things that you told me to do, and this is what I get for it. Like, how does this make sense?
0: You feel like this moment of like, Betrayal, really? You feel like you know you did everything just to do. And you're like, oh, like you betrayed my trust. And I was thought if I did this, it would be fine, but it's not at all. And so I would say, what for you? What caused you? I guess what steps did you go through to deconstruct and finally leave? And how was that experience for you? And how did people treat you?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was a long path for me and I have a lot of friends that have deconstructed and some of them, it was like a quick, like I'm an evangelical now I'm an atheist, but I feel like it was just like this Mm. slow, tiny path for me. and I think one of the results of complex PTSD for me is like the fear of change. Mm. And sometimes it feels easier to stay in a toxic or dysfunctional situation than the fear of what could be out there. So, um, After, I mean, divorce is one of the like bad, Mm. biggest, bad things, right? So once you become a divorced woman, there are so many things that Mm. come along with that. Like, even if you're the one, which I mean, looking back now, I respect my ex-husband for being the one to like step out. He did me a mm. favor. It wasn't a healthy relationship. It wasn't what was meant for mm, me. I yeah. started dating when I was 18. I'm like, Ooh. I have a son who's almost 18. There's no way that Ooh. he is ready to make that kind of decision. So it was this like, I am already bad. So, I'm already bad in the evangelical mm. world. So, I might as well like question things. And I wish that it would have been like social justice issues, uh, which I feel like very strongly about now. Yeah. But it was this like own personal I'm put in this category. I've mm-hmm. laid down my life, to use Christian wow. terminology or cliche, mm-hmm. for this thing that didn't serve me. And then I just begin to question a lot of those things of like, what have I experienced? And I, my step down was like going to a more progressive, like socially active church until COVID actually was the time when I'm like, oh, yes. this isn't serving me. Like, it was an easy out. Yeah. And Mike, it was a big, like there was parts of church, you know, it is intertwined. I mean, it kind of is mm. like complex PTSD so much. Yeah. Like there were things that served me or felt like they were serving me. There was this community that I had. There were people involved in my kids' lives and to like cut those ties with skills. Because I'm like, will these other emotional needs be met outside Mm. of that? And the answer is yes. But it is hard. I mean, I have so much many of my clients that are afraid to leave because they're like, well, this is my community. This is my support. What will I have? Will I be all alone Mm. in the world? I mean, that's our fear, right? I am all alone in the world. That's what I love about deconstruction. This community is I have so many people that come to me and they're like, I'm asking these questions. No one else in my community, no one else in my family, no one else in my church is asking these questions. It feels like they're the Mm. only one in this world. And I'm like, no, there's an entire community out there. You have actually aren't alone
0: Mm. oh i know like i love the deconstruction community so much too because there is this feeling of isolation of like you're talking about in these environments and you know as i've talked with phil drysdale he talks about the different kinds of people who are deconstructing and you know he talks about the people who are in the church still and who are questioning but they're not saying anything they appear to be conforming but internally and And when you're in those environments, you know, it's dangerous to say that you're questioning. It's dangerous to say that you're thinking about leaving or you have doubts about certain things. And so, you know, what you're talking about and how, you know, people are scared to leave because they're so dependent on the system is, um, you know, for me, I grew up in the IFB cult. And that's interesting because this year is something that I came to the realization that I grew up in a cult. I always, when I was a kid, I thought it was just normal because it's your only environment but as i've gotten older and then you when you learn about cult education you're like oh that was that church was a coal it's really freaky and like what's common in a lot of these cultic churches is that they do keep you dependent on them they separate you from the outside world and all of your needs are met through the church or psychological your emotional and like, you know, your community is there. And a lot of times, even like your school is attached to the church too. And like your family goes to the church friends, go, like it's just so many. So if you leave, it's like, you have to start over and that can be really hard for a lot of people. And so really you're kind of doing like this cost benefit analysis. I feel like a lot of us had to do like, how much is this actually benefiting my life? Yes and i know every situation is different but for me like as i slowly i mean it i decided to leave at 17 but i didn't really leave till i was like 21 <laughs> that was yeah. how long it took me to finally get away several years but i had to slowly um really develop life skills and start finding a new community outside the church and starting to find those resources outside of the fold because when that moment did come when I did leave I knew that everything would be would fall into place and yeah. those needs to be met and I know not every situation allows that and you know Sally, a lot of people are born into um, these cultic groups or these toxic religions or toxic churches and so I think it was curious because While you were talking, I was, it's funny, I'm such a nerd, but I have an index notebook and I was looking through it because shame is just this common theme that I see so much in these toxic religions and cultic Mm -hmm. environments. And I love, love, love Brene Brown um, and her book Atlas of the Heart. And I literally, because for me to help me deal with emotions, because emotional regulation, Was something that was so so hard for me, and it is it is a common symptom of religious trauma of like not knowing how to deal with your emotions at all. Yeah, Uh, because we're we're taught to not think for ourselves, we can't trust ourselves, and our own emotions are like demonized in these environments, really, and so we don't know how to deal with them, we don't know what to label them or what the cause is, and so for me. As I'm trying to grow my emotional intelligence and emotional maturity, it's just learning about emotions and knowing how to deal with them, labeling them, why are they there and removing the shame that's attached to the emotions. Because for me, that's what I noticed, emotions that experience the shame, the shame around them was so great that was the worst part of the emotions i was experiencing not necessarily the emotion itself so i was like how do i get rid of this shame that is attached to this and so i think it's interesting because these cultic environments create the perfect place for shame to thrive and as interesting as i've read alice the heart by brene brown and reading it from the perspective of growing up in a cultic environment, I'm seeing all the toxic things in religion. And so when she talked about shame, she says, shame thrives on three things. It thrives in secrecy, in silence, and in judgment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like churches are just a breeding grounds for shame. And, you know, for people out there listening, shame is when you believe that there is something inherently wrong with you, that you are worthless. Yeah. And... People can confuse shame and guilt. Guilt is when you feel bad about something that you've done. It's not about who you are as a person. It's when you go against your value system. But shame is like, I am bad, I am flawed, I am worthless. And a lot of these systems perpetuate that very toxic message. And it's interesting because shame is not a productive emotion. (laughs) It is not productive. And Brene Brown talks about how it fuels a lot of toxic behaviors and even addictions just getting rid of that feeling of worthlessness and so what steps did you take to gain that self-worth for you as you've been healing
1: yeah that's the great question and that is also relatable and so growing up in trauma and that complex ptsd is that belief like something is inherently mm, bad about me yeah. i'm bad and so i was the cult church like i was not in a cult i mean let's just say it for what it is Mm -hmm. that confirmed all of those beliefs Mm. i'm bad and the church system uses Mm -hmm. shame to have control Exactly like I mean, yeah. I think from the time that I was a little girl and then being in this church environment, mm-hmm. it was that like my body's bad, my mm-hmm. emotions are bad. Like you were saying, we don't feel anger, anger's bad, mm-hmm. we don't feel jealousy, jealousy is bad. I have so many clients who come to me and they're like, I was allowed to feel mm-hmm. these certain emotions. We can feel joy, we can't feel happiness. <laughs> We can feel frustrated. We can't feel angry. And it Mm. is that like, yeah, because something's wrong and bad with me. Tell me what to do. My leader, tell me what to do. My husband, tell me what to do. My pastor, tell me what to do because there's something wrong with me. Like God wants, you know, we were told like God wants like your obedience over Mm. your head, over your leader, more than like staying connected to yourself. Uh. And I think that I had to get to this point of what felt like losing everything of losing my marriage of being at this Mm. place where I'm like, I had been a stay at home homeschooling mom for 10 years. What do I have? Like, Mm. I have nothing. I went through that period too. And it makes me so sad hearing your story of like 17. Cause when I left Mm. that cult, I was 27. So I had like a looking back on now, I think I had like a existential crisis Mm. of I was pregnant with my fourth child. I was 27 years old. I had cut off everything around me. So I didn't have close relationships Mm. with other friends. And when we decided to leave the church, seeing the abuse, seeing the control, I mean, a lot of it honestly was because of my ex-husband. He was like, Mm. we're leaving. And I remember the Sunday after we left, we were at the park with the kids. So I'm like, you know, pregnant with my fourth child. I have three little kids. I'm in my twenties and the kids running around at the park and feeling like this huge relief and weight off my shoulders. Mm, And at the same time, feeling that shame and feeling like I'm bad. Like I was scared of someone seeing Mm, me at the park on a Sunday morning with my kids. Like I was like on the street, like selling my body or something like that's how Mm. i i felt like this oh no who's gonna see me like looking around and it was just this dichotomy this internal war that's taken Mm. me a really long time i'm 39 now and i feel like i'm still Mm. learning like that what you said like emotional regulation Mm feeling inherently good. And I tell my clients and it's like a reminder to me of like, no, I'm inherently good. I'm Mm going to fail. I'm going to be messy. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to hurt people. People are going to hurt me. That's part of the life, the human experience. Mm -hmm. But it has been one slow step of like, and I always say, I want to love myself in a way that a kind, gentle, compassionate parent.
0: I want to speak
1: to myself in that way of like, Morgan, you're good. You are lovable. You are safe. Like that's such a mantra f- for mm. me. And I think some people who haven't experienced religious trauma or complex PTSD are like, yeah, duh, of course you're safe for like sitting here at a coffee shop. <sighs> but this inherent, like, I am not safe. Like remind yeah. yourself, no, I'm internally safe.
0: Mm. I'm
1: loved. It's okay.
0: Everything's going yeah. to be
1: okay of this message that we need to build mm. up that internal okayness
0: mm, yes and like really you know for people who didn't grow up in religion and don't understand that feeling of unsafety like when we grew up in this we were put in a state of hyper vigilance because we were always taught to, like there's spiritual warfare going around you all the time the devil's after you and you better beware of every like keep captive every single thought <laughs> literally and so you and for me like i struggle with ocd Growing up. So OCT and religion don't go well together. So that was not fun to deal with. Um, so there was a lot of obsessiveness around praying and following rules. And like for me, like breaking rules was really hard. And it's something I had to learn to do, you know, from what the cult really told me, because I had to learn to take care Of really my well being. And like therapy has been such a big part of that. And I encourage anyone out there to seek help. Definitely. And I know insurance can be an issue sometimes, but there are people who have a sliding scale and they will help you um, afford therapy. But yeah, like it's been incredible because for me, I think I I basically yeah so I left in January of this year (laughs) wow yes and it was like I was 21 I was about to turn 22 and for me like once I was real I was expelled from a Christian university that's what Mm -hmm. happened. (laughs) <laughs> and literally once I got expelled, I was like, all right, let's time to find a therapist. And like the next week yes. I was going to therapy because for me, I knew once I at least graduated college that I wanted to go to therapy to deal with religious trauma. Because I think it wasn't until I was like 20 that I found the term religious trauma and really realize oh my gosh this is what i've been struggling with and it's just such like an incredible moment because you're suffering in silence for so long and you're blamed and you're shamed and you're doing what they tell you over and over again and nothing's working and you feel like something is inherently wrong with you you feel so much shame about it and then when you finally find I guess, the issue, the core issue. And you're like, oh my gosh, like it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. I would, this is religious trauma because of all the years of conditioning and spiritual abuse and other things that I've gone through. And so I'm also curious about, because I know you, so you got married at a young age. So you dig into how purity culture greatly influenced that because I can imagine how that has.
1: Yeah. I mean, purity culture messed me up and i think that there are messages for you know all genders or in mm, the church both yeah. genders um And what I experienced is that it just went along with that belief of like, your body is bad, Mm. your desires, your humanness is bad.
0: Yeah, Mm.
1: And of course it was like religious or it was made into this like Mm. demonic spiritual warfare. I love that you brought that up because that was such a part of my life too. But I think that, you know, the message in purity culture towards women is men have no or boys at the time have yeah. no like control over their impulses in their body. So it's up to you. And I laugh like one of my really good friends. We're still good friends. We both have been through like a lot of the same, yeah. like yeah. divorce, marriage, marriage, breakups, endings. Um, but how we would wear these like, a one piece swimsuit but mm. that wasn't big enough so we wore also a huge short shirt and long board uh. shorts and i'm like how, how did we not drown like how did we i drown? know like, uh. that? because you're always on edge of like oh no i can't do this mm. and i think yeah. like consciously i wouldn't have said this at the time but there's like If you are in a relationship in a young age, like you're either having sex and you feel shame, so you get married, or you're not having sex and you want to, so you get married. And it's like... I mean, it's just horrible. As a mom of teenage boys, I'm like, it makes Mm. me sad. And it's crazy to think of the fact that I would be telling my child, like, Mm. oh, get married now. I mean, and even for you, like, there's so much of life and figuring yourself out ahead. (laughs) Like I'm, like I said, I'm 39. I feel like there's still a part of me that's like figuring myself out. But especially Mm. your 20s are about like, who am I? What do I need? I need to, and after getting divorced and going through this, there was a part of my life where I like, I I went crazy, kind of like the breaking the rules. Like, I don't Mm. care. Oh, I'm going to do these things that I thought were horrible,
0: Mm.
1: horrible. And then I do it and I'm like, oh, this is it. This is what? (laughs) Drinking it. Like I You're- thought like <laughs> thought I was gonna be demon possessed.
0: <laughs> You're like waiting for a bomb to drop.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm like looking around, like everyone's smile, everyone's exactly the same. I just took a sip of alcohol and everyone, nothing changed. This is crazy. But I mean, <laughs> there was a time where I definitely did a pendulum swing mm. and a lot of my clients do that same thing. And I'm like I get it. I totally get it. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of them that's like, oh, no, everything feels so high stakes because Mm -hmm. like you said, like. There's demons, there's spiritual warfare, there's shame, there's our testimony. Are we going to stop the people? But ultimately, it's eternity uh, in hell. Like, it's not just that something bad is going to happen right now, but forever. Mm. So to go back to purity culture, I think there was a big part of me that was like, it was the environment I was in. Everyone was getting married. The summer that Uh, I got married, mm. there was like and a lot of us are divorced now, but it was forced into this. It was this thing. So I didn't have sex until my wedding night. And I wore Mm. that as like a badge of pride. Mm. Like I had accomplished this thing. And this thing was my safety net, right? If I didn't have sex Mm -hmm. until my wedding night, then my marriage would be great. My connection would be great. My sex life was great. That is absolutely untrue. That is I won't swear on your podcast. But oh no. Untrue. <laughs> and you totally
0: can if you want to go for it. Yeah. We we'll love just say cursing. It's
1: untrue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And like that's so interesting because that's something I noticed as I got older. And as I went to, you know, a Christian university, which is Bob Jones University, I noticed, I was like, oh my gosh, people are getting engaged so quickly. Like I remember hearing freshmen getting engaged I'm like what (laughs) what are you doing no least all that is not okay yeah there is also so much pressure in these environments and I feel like I felt it at Bob Jones and I feel like I think it's a a lot of Christian colleges that you're expected to be engaged by senior year at -hmm. least Mm -hmm. and that was really annoying for people to get hounding me oh are you getting engaged no (laughs)
1: <laughs> good for you. You dodged a bullet because it was so easy. And I think my coping mechanism is conform. Mm. And that probably is out of my trauma.
0: Oh, like so yes.
1: much of my mm. life was like, subconsciously, I wasn't thinking this, but I'm yeah. like, oh, I will become what you want me to yeah. be yeah. so that I can be loved and mm. accepted.
0: Yeah. Yes, and I was really response. good at it.
1: Absolutely. Um, I am a hundred percent
0: fawner. And like that was that was me too for so long. And that's what really caused me to go to a Christian university in the first place, which yeah. I wasn't really given much of a choice anyway. So it was like a double bind, just like stay home in your cult or go to a Christian college. Yeah. So. That was the, those were really the two options for me, but getting rid of that fawn response really is what I did, I guess, at Bob Jones, which was really hard in that environment. And like you said, it's an unconscious thing. It's just, it's an automatic trauma response and you really don't realize it until you really get away from those influences. So it was good for me in a sense to get away from my parents and truly be like, wow, what do I actually care about? Was I just accepting this and conforming to adapt or do I actually really believe this and is actually helpful and so I'm just curious what were some big things that you had to deconstruct and what are some things that you're deconstructing now
1: um I mean I first I think that the first and biggest thing was like on a personal level that like shame so Mm -hmm. I'm like okay here I am divorced what does that mean or say about me has something internally changed about me And then I think a lot of it was just the messages of the church. It was these social justice issues. Like you say that God is love, Mm. yet you are the most unloving, judgmental, disgusting, horrible people that I have ever seen. Like, I feel very, very strongly about that. Yes. Of how can you say that you serve this loving God and not love people and not mm, have this fundamental yeah, this, all the things that are happening in the world right now this fundamental uh, belief system that people are worthy of love and that um, is i mean that is non-negotiable so that is the biggest thing that i'm just like these can't line up and i get i mean i'm sure you do too i get messages all the time of people like saying that things aren't real or saying that they're like praying for me. And I'm just like, it's I think that I've I have clients. And I think I went through this time of like, you know, even I live in my hometown, So I see people that I know and there was this part of me that felt that shame, like leaving Mm. the church or going through a divorce or, you know, not living that same life of like, oh, no, what are they going to think about me? And I think Mm. I've had to change those narratives to be like, no, I'm in the power position. Like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Like, I saw what you posted on social media about politics like ew like i'm gonna walk with my shoulders back and my head held Mm, high i feel confident i feel secure in where i am and i can see the emotional result and like obviously life is Mm. comes with challenges we're not always going to be happy we're like
0: yeah hard
1: things happen we're sad we go up and down we learn things But I am like, I feel so much more Mm. freedom and security and just happiness than I ever did living under that. I don't even think you know how much condemnation and fear you are under until you leave until you start to dip your toe out. Mm -hmm. And it's scary. And I have a lot of clients that are like, oh no, I'm I'm this person that I judged before. Mm -hmm. I'm the one that's Mm -hmm. doing these things. I'm not going to church. I'm drinking at bars Uh, i'm posting things i'm going to like the women's march or whatever Mm. am i that person what does this mean but then also like being like when we come into our bodies which Mm. obviously like purity culture and evangelicalism and fundamentalism are like disconnect when we come into our bodies i'm like oh i actually feel on a visceral physical Mm. level peace and there is nothing that's worth giving up mm, that for
0: yes and like you saying about how when you become the other the person that the church always condemned it makes me think of that kind of funny tick to sound am i the villain
1: <laughs> that yes it- <laughs> that's the best way to look at it like just to change that narrative because i think we so easily go into like shame yeah. and condemnation but to like make it lighthearted and fun yes like, yeah in these people's stories maybe we are and we can embrace Mm -hmm. that that's okay
0: (laughs) and like i think for me like as you know which i think i'll be deconstructing probably the rest of my life but as i've done some deconstruction i've realized oh my gosh we generalized so many people in these environments without facts or proof yes. just came to conclusions that, you know this the logical fallacy of generalization is so common in all these churches it's like if you get an abortion you're a murderer you're evil you're awful if you're in the lgbtq plus you're evil you're terrible it's just all these this us versus them mindset which is very common in cultic environments this yes. we're the good guys they're bad or we're saved we're righteous they're lost they're wicked they're servants of satan all these things and when you deconstruct you you know you need to get rid of that black and white mindset and understand the gray and like for example for me like growing up i was a very had very anti-abortion views because that's how i was indoctrinated into that but once i got out and i actually learned about different people's situation and circumstances and not everyone is privileged like what i grew up in anyways with money wise i'm like oh well not everyone has as much money and they're poor and they don't have the resources that I had. And so this puts them in vulnerable situations and they're really, and it's not like a lot of people are happily doing this and that's what the church portrayed it like. They're just happily just, Oh, let's go to get an abortion. I'm like, no, a lot of these women are struggling to do this yeah. and it's a hard thing, but they realize that if they give birth, they're either number one, they'll have to starve and they can't take care of it, or it will be traumatized through adoption, which I think is a whole other thing. Which always yeah. annoyed me of like how evangelicals and fundamentalists totally ignored the trauma that can happen um in adoption really and those issues. And so once I started seeing those areas of gray, I was like, okay, like maybe it's time like to have some more compassion for people. And so I'm just curious, what important lessons did you learn as you deconstructed and as you left?
1: Yeah. I mean, I love, I totally agree and love that. And I think that that is so, Mm. so true. I think the church stays in power by the overgeneralizations mm. and villainization of those people mm, whoever those yeah. people might be and i think if we and that's why they create this bubble and that's why we do this mm. of like oh we can maintain our power and control over you if you're afraid of these people and then you get to know those people and you're like oh actually you're <laughs> a human. And you're better Mm. than all these other church people that have been (laughs) telling me that you are so bad. And I think just having compassion on myself Mm. has allowed me to have compassion on other people. And I love that. And I so believe that. And I agree with you about this black and white thinking. I mean, black Mm -hmm. and white Mm -hmm. thinking kept me safe. As Richard Rohr talks about, as children, we need black and white, we need right and wrong, we need hot and cold, we need like, don't run into the street, that's bad. Don't Mm -hmm. touch a hot stove, that's bad. But as we grow up in evangelicalism or fundamentalism, that doesn't change. We don't Mm -hmm. mature our thinking, everything's black and white. And now I'm in a place where I'm like, I don't don't even think that there is any black and white I used to be like there's a little bit like is anything really black and white life is nuanced life is is. gray Mm. and that is the beauty of it and that just brings the pressure down that brings the expectation down Mm. that that's like the internal sigh of like I'm actually am okay yeah I can be messy I can make mistakes I can like figure out relationships I can figure out sex I can figure out politics Mm -hmm. or social justice issues and as i have compassion for myself and others that grows because i am 100% in agreement with you on all of these social justice uh, issues and just humanity our humanness
0: uh, yes
1: as a whole of seeing mm, yeah that humanness mm-hmm. in others and allowing yeah. that in myself. And I think that just mm. being like, I'm never going to arrive. Like you said, I'm always deconstructing might look yeah. different mm-hmm. and I'm always like learning and growing. And I used to, like, I was in a relationship and the person was like, you always change your mind. This was as I be as yeah. I was starting deconstructing, yeah. I can't trust you. I never know what you believe. Mm. And I felt shame about it. And now I'm like, I actually value that the most about yes. myself. I want to learn. I want to grow. Mm. I
0: want to change.
1: I don't want to be the same person. And, and I value yes. that. That is really
0: important mm-hmm. to me. Yes. Yeah. You value that openness to change your beliefs if there's new information or other perspectives. Because to me, my personality type suffered in that kind of environment because I naturally want to learn and know more. But in yeah. that environment, it's like, no, we have all the answers. It's this, 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 and this. Just follow this and you're good. Yes. No more questioning. Stay in our cult. Mm-hmm. The yeah. religion. And I'm like, no i don't want to do yeah
1: which is huge to be able to say no because it is that it's have faith trust Mm. god like we don't always know we won't know until we get to heaven like basically Mm. shut up and obey yes and for you to like even internally push back is huge because that's scary Mm, that takes a lot of
0: courage yes and like for me of course during a lot During my childhood, I did feel that shame, like, oh, I'm not conforming or oh, like, and there was a lot of, again, that feeling of oh, something's wrong with me because I'm not clicking with this. Mm -hmm. And I think we get to the point of some people, it's like you convince yourself that it works. And then it's okay. Even though internally, you know, that's not true.
1: (laughs) Well, and that was my divorce for me. I think I wanted to believe it. And I called it hope. And somebody told me like, Morgan, did you have hope? Or was that fantasy and an illusion? Like, I think I was always like, well, it's just not yet. I would use these weird Mm. things. I would gaslight myself. I'm like, well, if my husband loved me, then I wouldn't need to trust God. And I would like over spiritualize it to stay in a toxic, dysfunctional, Environment. Mm, And then when I got divorced, I was like, oh, I can't live in this facade anymore. I can't Mm. fake myself out that this is going to someday work because this is not working. So I need to Mm. find another way. Mm. It kind of forced me. I guess it didn't force me. I like to use the word invitation it invited me. And honestly, I jumped right into another relationship. Like Mm. I was married to my kid's dad for 10 years. And I did the thing again, I was like, Oh, this is redemption. This is and then it was worse. It was harder. It was like, I tried to over spiritualize it again, and it still didn't work. And that was kind of like, okay, the next step, the next step.
0: Mm, Yes, most definitely. And like, I think kind of circling back to kind of like the really like generalizing and villainizing humanity. And I remember, I think yeah, it was yesterday, I was talking to my therapist and I I was kind of talking about how um, really dealing with online hate and comments and things. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, I really don't care about like things they say about me. It doesn't bother me. Like, don't hurt my feelings. It's like it, there are cliches and words that they say that trigger religious trauma of cliches mm-hmm. that the church would use. I'm like, you know, I can hear or read these different things. And that brings me back to sitting in the pew and this preacher screaming and yelling at me and all these yeah. different things. And so and what, you know, I told my therapist, I'm like, and it's really incredible to me how when you like actually start verbalizing things, it just costs you to process uh, more things, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, the church, I'm like it just it completely demonized our humanity, and then it told us it had the answer for overcoming our humanity, <laughs> really, yeah. And it just doesn't work because, and, you know, and then I was we were talking about how um, there's so much shame around having sexual desires and how I believe that I could overcome all sexual desires, period, through yeah. believing. And then as I learned more about biology and things, I'm like, oh, well, that's not actually possible. Yes. <laughs> like, I would have to get rid of hormones in my body. I would have to literally cut off a body part, which some people sadly have yeah. done they're that extreme i don't think it's as common but i know like they're oof, certain men will go as far to cut off certain parts of their body to do that and it's just how extreme and really how much shame there is around this humanity and so i'm just curious what advice or wisdom do you have for people who are stuck in these toxic religious environments and who are struggling with religious trauma
1: yeah I mean, I 100% agree that I think that therapy is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think having Mm -hmm. a safe, judgment-free, loving environment, having just like a neutral third party is so important. And like you had said, there are ways around it. People use sliding scales. Mm -hmm. There are coaches. There are groups. I mean, whatever it looks like right now to have mm-hmm. someone safe but I think that that is so true like I tell my clients all the time kind of like what I was saying before of like you are not bad it's okay to ask mm. questions yeah. the reason we are told not to ask questions is to maintain power and control like mm-hmm. you said yeah. if we believe that our humanity is natural and normal then we mm-hmm. don't need these environments no if if we can get the answer outside of it then we don't need these environments so mm-hmm. we still stay in there. And I think it feels really, really scary to begin asking questions. Mm, And so taking one step at a time, and I think it's easier said than done, because I always say you can trust yourself, you trust your heart and your Mm. intuition. But I remember when I first started hearing that, like, what does your gut say? What does your intuition say? I'm like, I don't know. What does that even mean? Like, I have no (laughs) clue what you're saying. Yeah, And it is just like having quiet Having safe people. I mean, it is hard when you're stuck in that. But my encouragement and my advice is like reach out to one person and find a safe person and begin having these conversations. <laughs> begin even like vocalizing your your own questions mm. and validating like it's okay to begin asking these.
0: Mm. Yeah, so it's definitely, and I think it is interesting because. I've definitely had backlash from people saying, Oh, like you shouldn't trust yourself. Your heart is evil. The Bible says this, 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 and this. And it's interesting. I haven't released this video yet, but I will soon of when I kind of talk through what I mean when I tell people to trust yourself. And to me, uh, number one is like coming back and connecting with your body. Your body or your nervous system is going to tell you what situations are safe and unsafe, but you got to listen to it (laughs) most definitely. Like, as I become more aware of it, I'm like, there are situations and people I'm like, oh, you're not safe. Like, I can feel it. Like, this is not good for me. And just knowing it, it's just, it's biology that automatically goes off. And like you said, that intuition and taking that quiet time to listen and really know, like, Number one, you have to connect with yourself and be aware of your body, your mind, and your emotions to even be aware of your needs and then meet your needs. But if you're disconnected from yourself and you're unaware and you believe that your body is evil, your mind is evil, you're disconnected and you're not aware of your emotions, you're not going to be able to emotionally regulate or really heal or find autonomy. So at first it's like, it's that connecting with your body and like taking those small steps and just... Notice, how do I feel when I'm around this person? How do I feel when I'm in this church? How do I feel when I'm in this Sunday school class? Or how do I feel about this teacher and preacher or what they said? And understanding, oh, why do I feel this way? Is this harmful? Because I think the awful thing is that we're programmed in these environments that, oh, you have a negative reaction to what we say. That's the Holy Spirit. Like, that's calling you out. You're feeling shame because you need to confess Mm -hmm and it's Mm -hmm. nothing it's it's nothing wrong with them it's you and it's like oh that's the holy spirit so we've been taught and really this is another cultic thing that happens in environments is that they redefine emotions absolutely they tell you they tell you how to interpret these bodily sensations or things that are going on so then you don't dig any deeper you don't ask any farther but i think Mm -hmm. it is important for people to understand like okay what is really going on here let's dig deeper and really understand what is going on and I totally agree like oh I think everyone should go to therapy like anyone who comes to him like go to therapy like it is so great or a life coach or talk to someone and um and also like I'm just curious if you want to put in a plug for your coaching, go for it. (laughs) Like,
1: oh, thank you.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah. You can find me my on Instagram, Morgan Chantel, Morgan Chantel, C-H-A-N-T-E-L-L-E. And I'm, I mean, I love talking through this with people. It feels like such an honor. And I think Mm -hmm. I 100% agree with you, like religion, cults. Like it, Mm. it is the exact opposite of what you're saying. It is disconnect from your body, disconnect from your emotions. So when people begin, and maybe people that are still in this environment or just coming out might hear us and be like frustrated. Like, I don't know. Like I'll ask people, what do you feel in your body? And they're like, I don't know, nothing nothing mm. so a good way to start just like you were saying is just to begin to notice when you like something like we all mm. have those we just don't yeah. pay attention like oh when i'm excited do i feel that in my chest i
0: feel yeah. like this mm. in my
1: shoulders Like, be, just begin to notice what you're feeling in your body to connect back in mm. so that you can take those steps like you're saying to begin to trust your body and trust your intuition
0: mm. because
1: for so it feels counterintuitive Like the purity culture thing, like we were talking about, like, oh, my sexual desires are bad. I have to Mm, repress it or suppress it or deny it or lie about it. I can't embrace it. Or even just Mm. like those things of like, oh, I feel uneasy in this church. Yeah. Oh, that's either a demon or that's the Holy spirit convicting you. Mm. There's something wrong with you. So just slowly taking those steps to come in. What is, what does the wind feel on me? What's the temperature? Mm, Like those five senses of connecting to your body are a great. Mm, Like first step and way place to
0: start. Mm, yes most definitely and like from my therapist he began he i think it was called like grounding techniques yes and there are lots of grounding techniques you can find online to help you get in touch with your five senses and like for me it was honestly overwhelming to even think of that when i first started getting into that with my therapist and he would walk through these different exercises with me but what he told me is that andrew he's like I know it can be overwhelming because there's all these things, your body is doing all these things. He's like, let's get in touch. You're getting in touch with one emotion or one sensation at a time. You're sitting in a chair. What do you feel? Don't worry about anything else. How does it feel? And so he would walk through each sensation that I yeah. would have and get in touch. And that's kind of learning to be in touch with your internal system. And I, yeah, anyone I recommend, yeah, researching, grounding techniques, but definitely um, seeking therapy and mental health help is really, really great. And I encourage it. And Before we end this interview, Morgan, is there anything else that you would like to say?
1: Um, No, just thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you and hearing more of your story.
0: And I think
1: you have so much to add this community and the world i
0: really appreciate what you are doing thank you i try (laughs) thank you so much you're doing a great job (laughs) oh thanks (laughs) all right awesome thank you everyone for who's listening and this was speaking up with andrew pledger thank you for listening to speaking up with andrew pledger your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon, and the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pleasure.